Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, Dan. What's happening, Buzz? What's happening is it's Friday. It is. Are you going to miss me or are you glad that it's Friday? I want to do this every day, Saturday and Sunday. I'm (laughs) upset with you. You haven't showed up for about a year and a half, but one day I'm going to get you in here on the weekend. Well, I'm excited about today. Oh, yeah? We have an old friend uh, with us, uh, a really interesting guy, uh, Dr. Jonathan Bayek. Hello, doctor. Hello. Uh, an immunologist. But before we talk about your incredible work for the unsheltered people in our region and your extraordinary knowledge of um, uh, the virus uh, as an immunologist, I want to talk about this avocation that you have. You are going to Tanzania, and why? I'm going to Tanzania to participate in research on whale sharks. Whale sharks. Now, I didn't know anything about whale sharks. And when you told me this when we talked, sure, I started looking at images of these unbelievable creatures. Tell yeah. us about them and sure. why you're interested. So it's not just whale sharks. I do research on all kinds of sharks um, in the process of going through a bunch of species with a bunch of researchers. Um, most locally, the local, the local people are uh, UMass. And there's a project called the 3D Project where we go, they go, and I participate when I can, to go make complete 3D images, uh, video images of specific animals. And then those animals, uh, it gets uploaded into a system using, you know, with aquariums and other universities and all kinds of stuff. And then you can be used for educational purposes and research purposes. And then you can, in some cases, you can actually track the specific animals and use drones or other technology to check the health of the, of the animals. Um, there's other people going as well, and we're going to be uh, they're going to be taking, um, you know, small tissue samples to look for toxins and forever chemicals and, you know, undigestible plastics and stuff in the whale sharks. And then um, there are many of them already have some tracking device, but just to track them, uh, the place I'm going to is called Mafia Island, which is uh, just a Swahili word. And it's, um, they have the resident whale sharks. that It doesn't, doesn't mean La Cosa Nutra. No, it has nothing. What does it mean? <laughs> what does Mafia mean? I believe it means beautiful water in, in Swahili, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But the... Uh, we're going to be doing that. The, the whale sharks that are there, they're not residents year-round, but they live very close. And most whale sharks uh, will will migrate much further. So this the, this population is a lot easier to study. Well, I, I was looking at these images. They have humongous—these are large animals. They're about 35 feet long. 35 feet long, and their mouths are huge. Yeah, they're they're huge. They they um they, they are sharks. They're fish. They're not mammals, even though they're they're called whale sharks because they look like whales. Uh, they're spotted. And they have really cool, quite beautiful. They are beautiful. They probably are one of the most beautiful um, fish in the in the water. They uh, they they are the largest fish in the water. So that'll be uh, that'll be exciting. So what we'll be doing is taking a an African version of a Boston whaler type of boat, and because they sharks have to constantly move to breathe. Uh, we'll have to sort of chase them, and then I'll be strapped on with all kinds of GoPros, and I'll be I'll be free. I'm sorry, all kinds of what? GoPro What's cameras. That? Uh, you know, it's, so GoPros are uh, cam- video cameras and cameras that you you basically put on your body, or you can put in a helmet, or you can put in a, on a snorkel, not on a mask, not a snorkel, or on your wrist. It's not this kind of camera, like you're, you're yeah, it's, right. It's constantly going. So I'll be we'll be chasing them, and then once we find them, I'll jump in and free dive and try to go, I'll be going around them and, and getting all the images I can. And then when they swim beyond my ability to keep up with them, I'll jump back in the boat and do it again. No fear? No, not much. I'm not really afraid a lot. Wow. They're not interested in, in, uh, in eating mammals, despite the fact that their, their mouth is big enough to swallow a car, it looks they're, like? They're filter feeders. So their mouths are very large, but they don't eat, they don't eat, any, they don't eat fish. They eat uh, very, well, very, very small fish and, and, you know, plankton, things like that. It's Dan. I have a question for you. What are you studying about them? My, the, the 3D project is specifically to get the 3D images of the animal. It's not been done. And so once it's done, it's sort of hard to explain, but you can, it's manipulative and it's, it's live. So all the images, we're talking about hours and hours and hours of film that goes to MIT and then it gets put into a computer-generated image of exactly that animal, down to a scratch, to a, the whole thing. Wow. So it's for education. Oh, okay. Uh, and there's you know, grants that are supporting it. But there's other people that were going on the same trip 
that are doing more tissue samples and tracking and behavioral stuff. Will will those images be used in a certain way? Are they yeah, yeah in like museum studies? Exactly. Okay. So that's the kind of thing. If you know if you've been to the aquarium, yeah. you know how sometimes they'll have very large right. models. Yep. So instead of just having somebody you you can 3D print them basically right. with our soft with the software that I'm that the team I'm going with has. It's uploadable. It's mostly for education, but there are some other applications of having the video. Wow. Jonathan Bayek, how did you get involved in this? Were you raised on the the water? So I've always, I'm a a scuba dive instructor, or dive master, I should say, and I've been in the water for many hundreds of hours since I was very young. Um, when I was really little, I, we were always by the ocean. My, my father lived in Newport and did a lot of, we did a lot of sailing. So yeah, is the answer. I'm an ocean guy. You're an ocean guy. And have you ever, ever had interest in other sharks other than whale sharks? Yeah, I've done hammerheads already. We did that. That was down on South Bimini in the Bahamas. Um, then the team, I had to miss it because of some stuff I do with my family, but they did manta rays. And I believe the plan is to go to the Galapagos in the spring and do some other animals. But it may not be sharks. It may not even be fish. Uh, that's to be decided. And then I think that one plan is to do humpback whales the following year in Hawaii. So we would be doing the same thing, but with humpbacks. And how many days a week do you see your psychiatrist? <laughs> no, it's not crazy. I mean, it's just... No, it sounds fantastic. It really is. What an application. Yeah. I'd like to talk about it more, but there's also, uh, when we first met, it was because of the work that you were doing with the unsheltered. Mm. Um, why don't you tell our listeners about the status of that? Well, well first of all, when, when you first did One Roof, what was the result of that? Okay, so we it was it was pretty good. It was right. Uh, it was two. Well, what is it? What? Oh, I'm sorry. So one roof is the name of the nonprofit that I started, and I work with another guy named Dan Prindle, who's a local musician and a musician teacher, a music teacher. And what we do is put on what we started to do, and what we did then is put on musical festivals or concerts to generate money to then um, generate enough money to buy tiny homes to provide for people who are home, who are unsheltered. And we raised a, de- a good amount of money. It was my first year, and I was a complete rookie. Uh, I got taken by some booking agents and the industry <laughs> in general. So I didn't make enough to do... Different kind of sharks. Different kind. Yeah, I'd much rather swim with the real sharks, right. even the ones with teeth. But um, so, you know, we did generate some money. I mean, overall, I think a couple hundred thousand dollars was generated, but there was so many other fees and stuff that we didn't end up taking the all that. But there was a residual. And then we, what we're doing now is we're going to have a concert with Suzanne Vega, which is coming up on December 17th at the Academy of Music. And those tickets are selling very well. And she's a great artist. I'm not sure if you guys remember Suzanne Vega. Sure. But, uh, you know, Tom Steiner and Luca. And, um, and then uh, there's going to be an opener from a, a local up-and-coming band, which I haven't secured yet, so I don't want to mention that. But the I think it's going to be uh, a lot of fun. It's you know it's right before the holidays or right around the holidays, I should say, and it generates some more money, more interest. And then there is another festival that we're going to do this summer, and the venue of that is is still trying to be worked out. I have two options. Um, I did it at the fairgrounds before. Yes, you did, and and I, I remember talking to one of the unsheltered people actually. Before that, I used the term homeless, and he correct, he's the first yeah, person who corrected would, me. I believe I was here with him. You were. Yeah. And, and you actually, uh, instead of being under a bridge for the winter, people get these tiny homes that they're able it, to buy. It, that you it hasn't possible. happened yet, and, and it's going to happen. And, and so my plan is, is you know, it's, it's a tough time. To start up a, a, a festival producing nonprofit for the homeless in the middle of a pandemic is, it was, is a challenge. But uh, and it hap- when I put it on, it was right when the town of Northampton put on the mass mandate. So a lot of people just flaked. But we did have somewhere around 1,000 people that came, generated a decent amount of income. The show was really great. People had a good time. I had nothing but positive feedback, and I learned a lot. So as, we, as I go forward with that, um, I'm going to become more sophisticated, get some larger, more well-known artists, and, and hopefully you know, really start to grow it. And if so I you're can... actually involved in the booking of these, yeah. these top-flight artists. Yeah, and now, now I have some help. I did it all myself the first time. Um, now I have some help, and I think that's going to be a good partnership going forward. And it's, uh, it's really the way to go because yeah, there are a lot of sharks out there. <laughs> Why did you get involved in One Roof? What was your inspiration for that? So I've always been very interested in helping the unsheltered. I also previously used to call them homeless as well. Um, when I was, I grew up. It's got a stigma to it. I, I've it, learned. It here. does. I mean, it's a different time, and you know, it, it, 
it's not about the stigma. It's about solving the problem, right? And just the description, unsheltered, I guess, makes is a lot better way to describing it. The um, so when I was a little kid, I started doing volunteering, and then I just been doing that my whole life. And so now I got in a position where I was able to put some things together and donate myself with my family and um, my wife and I. Then I uh, I just wanted to take the opportunity to see if I could do something to give back. It's that simple. Are you able to enlist the help of some unsheltered people to be part of the process of of uh, booking and running these events? Not yet. Uh, I don't have a, a a way to do that, you know, because I'd have to manage them, and it's so, you know the old adage is somewhat true: if you want something done right, do it yourself. And you know, I've running running businesses for a good portion of my life, so and this is what it's kind of like, you, you know, in order to set up. All of what is around a production is is a lot of different pieces that you don't see when you go and buy a ticket and sit down and watch a show. There's a lot of parts to it, so um, and so not yet, but it's a, it's a, it'd be great to be able to do that, especially people who were part of the program who w- were able to get into a tiny home and then they you know could sort of you know get 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 involved and, and be sort of part of the workforce. Uh, we are uh, talking to Dr. Uh, Bayek, Jonathan Bayek. He's an immunologist and. When he isn't uh, swimming with uh, the largest fish in the sea and making 3D images of them and putting shelter uh, on his agenda for the unsheltered and booking, uh, acting as a booking agent with some real human sharks, he is uh, an an immunologist who is uh, right on top of uh, the status of COVID in this region. And we're going to talk to him right after these messages. Stay with us. This week, Shop Tuesday is Rustic Brewing Company. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Rustic Brewing releases certificates for their brewery and tap room in Indian Orchard. Rustic Brewing, New England IPAs, Stouts, Sours, Lagers, and Golden Ale. Open Fridays and Saturdays in Indian Orchard's Studio G21 building. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Rustic Brewing Company in Indian Orchard. Available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Modest, very minimal increase in the police budget, largely uh, due to just regular contractual um, obligations. Holyoke is nothing like Northampton and Greenfield. The quality of life uh, issues or demographics, very, very different. So I can never compare our police departments. The challenges we have going on in our city are very, very different. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. At American National, what's important to you is important to us. Just like every horse is unique, so is our equine coverage. American National's equine owner's insurance is designed to address the inherent risks involved with owning horses. Flexible enough to provide property and liability coverage for operations of various sizes, yet can be tailored for your specific needs. We're right by your side. For more information, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates, Springfield, Missouri. The top-ranked Massachusetts Minutemen return to the ice at the Mullen Center this Friday and Saturday to take on Union. Puck drops at 7 p.m. and Saturday is the shutout hunger drive. Donate a non-perishable food item and receive one ticket voucher to an upcoming game. UMass hockey tickets can be purchased at umassathletics.com tickets or if you can't make it, listen to all the action right here on WHMP, your home for UMass hockey. 1015, 1400 and 1240 WHMP. Eat more kale, says the bumper sticker. Why assume I'm not eating enough kale? If you eat at Paul and Elizabeth's, there's always kale. There's the Caesar salad with kale, with romaine, or both. There's the vegetarian platter, vegetables sautéed to perfection, including kale. Or just order a side of sautéed greens. Some people treat kale like one of those good-for-you-but-no-one-really-likes-it things. 
Maybe those people have never been to Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant, Inside Thorns in Northampton. It happens all over Massachusetts. Anytime I choose. In every home and every community. Be careful on your bike. Learning can happen anytime, anywhere. Hi guys. We'll see you at practice this weekend. And no matter how learning takes place in your family's life, Desi is there as your partner. The Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Never stop learning. Find out more at mass.gov slash back to school. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department for Elementary and Secondary Education. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. And this is Buzz who's one of, with one of the most interesting people. Dr. Jonathan Bayek, and you can pronounce his name a hundred different ways, but I think that's the way he wants to pronounce it. It's all good. It's all good. It's the way his dad pronounced it. And he also is a doctor, and he is an immunologist who's really at the, the top of this region's um, sort of uh, immunological tree, especially with respect to COVID-19. Um, so can you update us on what regionally is happening with the virus? Sure. So there still is quite a bit of active COVID infection. Um, there's some quite a few patients who are hospitalized at the different hospitals. It's nowhere near like it was before. And the, the death rate has come way down. And that is in large part due to vaccination, although many people have also been infected before. And now when they're reinfected, it's, you know, they do have some immune protection. Uh, those who are completely naive and not vaccinated are still at in extreme danger. It's of a very a polite problem. term, naive. Yeah, well. I mean, logically, I use different term than that. Yeah. Well, if they if their body hasn't seen it, you don't know. I mean, I've seen patients that were walking, talking, totally healthy, were dead three days later, and this you know this is before the vaccine mostly, and you know that's a real tough thing to take, and 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 that's I guess obviously it, it always is no matter what the cause is, but the we are doing what you would predict. So when you have a respiratory virus that tends to go up, those tend to go up in the winter time, and that's what's happening. Um, right now, the BA4 and BA5 are start. That's the uh, two Omicron variants, uh, the ones that the, the bivalent vaccine that is now available both by Pfizer and Moderna, which you were asking me for. It is very widely available. You you have to hunt a little bit, and we're having a really big problem in the this local in the Hampshire County area, and maybe even beyond with uh, the pharmacies. There's been quite a few pharmacists who have left. The staffing is very difficult. The East Hampton CVS had a, had a flood. It broke the ceiling. So that access is difficult. But, in, but there's plenty of vaccine. That's not a problem. And you should definitely get it unless you have a contraindication to it, which if you have a contraindication to it, you're probably going to see, well, probably me. And, that, and we can talk about that because I see a lot of people with that. But 99.5% of the time, people who think they have a contraindication do not. And it's extremely, extremely important thing to do, especially because the bivalent vaccine is being shown to be effective against the XBB variant, which is currently growing rapidly out of control in Hong Kong and I believe Singapore. And that's just a matter of time because that'll get here and then it'll spread. It'll overtake the BA4 and BA5. And unfortunately, the monoclonal antibodies that we currently have don't work on that strain. So Why don't they work on that strain? Well, the, the, the antibody is specific to the the type of virus that you're trying to get. So it's like a key in a lock. You know, you can have a key that looks like another key, but doesn't open the lock. And so the monoclonal antibodies are based off of the Delta variant, not so much the Omicron, certainly not the BA4 and BA5. The good news is, is that the bivalent vaccines are protective against the XBB. So if you haven't been vaccinated, now's the time to do it. You want the bivalent vaccine and you, you want to get a booster if it's been more than two months. You were saying to, to us uh, a moment ago that it isn't really the infection. It's your body's response to the infection, right? Absolutely. Could, could Which you is explain true for, that to people? Sure. So that's true of many infections. So if you've known someone or hurts or been involved with that or whatever, if you have an experience with sepsis, which means in systemic infection, typically a bacterial infection, um, the, the immune system will react so strongly that it causes massive damage to your lungs and, and other tissues potentially, and that's what kills you. So with COVID, we've been using steroids during active infection with great success, which is kind of counterintuitive because steroids are an immunosuppressant, turns your immune system down. Well, you'd think if you were infected, you'd want your immune system to be turned up. Well, it turns out that's not true. So, you know, the people, I have many Hundreds, I have hundreds of patients with primary immune deficiencies, 
they actually do a little better because their immune systems are dampened. So when they get COVID, you know, it's not always true, and I'm not encouraging people with immune deficiencies to go get COVID, but it, it, it's definitely something that's been noted. So your immune system, you, know, you need to balance. And if it's out of balance and you overreact, just like if you have a real problem with your immune system, and the, real, the, the immunosuppressed people who are the worst are the ones who are on medications to suppress T cell responses, which is a different thing, not to get too complicated. Yeah, that is complicated. I actually read about T-cell. T but, but why is it that older people are more susceptible to, uh, to serious consequences than, than younger people? Uh, well, I mean, that's, that's this particular virus, and it has, to, it, it has to do with a complex set of healing mechanisms that you need in order to recover completely. And as you get older, it's not just your immune system is still active, and there's different parts of it. And I don't want to oversimplify the immune system, but older people have a have a response that is unbalanced, and they also tend to have a lot more comorbidities. So, if you have diabetes, if you're obese, if you're a smoker, if you have you know serious kidney failure or any other organ failure that you're that you're still dealing with, those are all things. Which you're more add likely up. to have if you're older which you are just more likely to have in your older. If you got an older car, you're more likely to have things that are going to break. And, um, you know, if it, there, but that doesn't mean everybody. I've seen 85-year-old patients sail through it with, you know, who, who didn't have a lot of comorbidities, and 40-year-old guys have to get lung transplants. So it's not always about the age. But statistics, you know, a lot of those deaths occurred in nursing homes and places where people weren't moving. Mm -hmm. And if you don't move, which is a really important aspect of recovering from COVID, things just settle in and then you can get serious lung involvement and die. Yeah, I, I remember as a lawyer, I've had, when I've represented people in a wheelchair, they just don't, by sort of being immobile, they, you know, they, the blood isn't circulating, they're not breathing as much, they're, you know, it just it's is. It's huge, it's really important. And if, you know, there's a video I put out right at the beginning before we even were wearing masks about moving and that actually turned into a Harvard study that was done in India looking at non-medicine, non-anything else, just breathing techniques, and so far it looks like it does help. That's why you're interested in sharks, because if they stop moving, they can't breathe, right? Well, sharks can't breathe if they're not moving. <laughs> Which I don't understand. But <laughs> that is true. Well, because they breathe through their gills. They don't have lungs, so they have to keep moving. It is really interesting. So in the minute that we have left, so um, what, generally speaking... Um, what percentage, as an immunologist, of your of your practice is now related to COVID nineteen or one of the subvariants? At one point, it was a hundred percent for many many months, as I was dealing with lots of patients who had COVID problems, vaccination contraindications, a lot of vaccination you know re reactions, all that stuff. It's probably down to about thirty percent now. So better. Well. I want to thank you. Um, you're really one of the most interesting people in the Valley, I think. <laughs> I, I love that. the work that you're doing I agree for with One that, Roof. Buzz. Yeah, he really I is. always learn a lot. I always learn a lot. It's going to be, you notes. said it's December 17th. Yep. Suzanne Vega, it's One Roof. It's to shelter the unsheltered in our region. It's really an incredible undertaking on your part. And uh, I want to thank you, Jonathan. Oh, thank you. Our pleasure. We're going to be back with Duke Goldman. We're going to be talking about gays and baseball or why we don't know of gays in baseball right after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Democrat Maura Healey and Republican Jeff Deal met last night for their final debate ahead of the November 8th election. The gubernatorial candidates sparred over how to blunt the sting of rising energy costs and prepare for a possible COVID-19 surge, as well as just how much power a governor has when Democrats in the legislature have veto-proof majorities. Both candidates say they will cut taxes, although they took different stances on whether they might seek to undo cuts or impose new tax increases should Massachusetts face an economic crisis and revenue shortfall. The Western Mass communities located in the 1st Franklin, 1st Hampshire, and 5th Worcester districts will have a fifth question on the November 8th ballot. The non-binding question is a way to gauge voters' interest in imposing fees on carbon emissions and pay the money back to the public. State Rep. Natalie Blay. Putting a fee on the carbon content of fossil fuels to compensate for their environmental damage and return proceeds in equitable ways to individuals. Blay commended fellow legislator Representative Bill Driscoll for introducing legislation that would have imposed a carbon tax despite it not passing.
The Greenfield Police Department audit will not be happening after City Council unanimously voted against it on Wednesday. Members of the public also voiced their concerns during public comment about the cost of an audit and what progress would come from it. Councillor Penny Ricketts says the reason she would not vote for the audit was the price tag, but that she was for an audit as it may be beneficial down the road. Sunshine this afternoon, a high in the low 60s, mostly clear tonight. Evening temperatures 50s and 40s, an overnight low of 34 to 40. Mostly sunny tomorrow, 64 to 68. Chance for rain second half of the day on Sunday, a high in the low to mid 60s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. argue about it or rarely discuss it. A sort of division of labor emerges, one partner becoming the steward of household finances, the other less directly involved. This arrangement may work until a stressor is introduced, college expenses, budgeting issues, impending retirement, etc. That's when sparks can fly. Each person's perspective is quite different, and it's likely only a short-term solution if any will arise. The HUG plan presents an easy-to-follow, long-term solution that helps get both partners on the same page, alleviating stress and inspiring them to manage their finances successfully. I'm Francis Ray, I'm the Money Doctor. We now offer advanced tools and financial coaching using our patented system, all under one umbrella. For more information and to schedule your free consultation, visit our website at HugYourMoney.com. If you are on the Eversource Reduced Electricity Rate, whether you're on it now or you're eligible, you can tap into Co-op Power's solar arrays and lower your electric bill. A new energy justice initiative allows 120 low-income families to go solar, save money, and become owner members of Co-op Power. Join Co-op Power's 1,200 owner members building community-owned energy. For details, go to the Co-op Power website, coopower.coop. And welcome back for those who were with us before and welcome aboard for those who are just joining us. I love this time of the week when I get to talk to Duke Gold. I get to talk sports with somebody who's interested in social justice and sports. Duke, hello. Hi, Buzz. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And uh, isn't October great? October is great. The fall classic, the beautiful turning leaves in New England. We know we live here for a reason. Well, it's that, but I was talking sports. I'm talking about the basketball is yes. starting and yes. baseball is in the, it's a fall classic. And if you're a football fan, it's just a great time of year. It is. There's a lot of sports going on. For me, I'm a baseball fan. I, I'm not, I lost interest in basketball back in the late 90s when the Knicks last had a good team. So um, <laughs> I can't follow it too much. I do like to go to local college basketball, women's college basketball, because I think that's way more exciting than men's I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, well, as somebody who's an, an historian and somebody who uh, is interested in social justice, what do you have for us today? Well, today we're going to talk about gay people, openly gay people in professional team sports. And you might say, why are we talking about that? Because there are none. And that's not entirely true, but we're pretty close to that still. Here we are. I was trying to, I, I should have looked this up. How many years has it been since we've had national gay marriage? I mean, it's, I don't know, is it eight or nine years? Well, it's been in, quite a while. In Massachusetts, Massachusetts, it was 2003. Right, Massachusetts, it's been almost 20 years. Right. And, um, you know, 
we've had a lot of openly gay athletes in individual sports, particularly women's sports, certainly, much more so. It's certainly been a lot more open in women's sports. And it's become more and more open. But if we look at the male professional team sports... We actually have sports, one who's going to be governor pretty soon here in Massachusetts. Oh, yes, Maura Haley, which is great. So, um, you know, we should be in a time where, you know, what we hear is anywhere from a few percent up to say 10% of the population is gay. So if we, for instance, go to baseball, which is where I usually go to, I'd say last year there were something like 1,500 Major League Baseball players during the course of the season for those 30 teams. So you got to figure, at the very least, 50 or 60 of those guys are gay. You would think if it's 10% that it would be It'd be, be even more, right. I'm, I'm taking the lower estimate, okay. right? Anywhere from 50, 60 up to 150 or so, right? And how many openly gay players are there right now in Major League Baseball? I'm just going to interrupt you for one second. When I was in Atlanta playing baseball, there was this guy, Robin, we all suspected. I am so ashamed at the name-calling that he had to suffer. Why didn't he come out? Why wasn't he open? That's why. Exactly. And we've all been there. You know, our society has come a long way and and we've all experienced that. And, you know, I mean, look, it isn't it's certainly less than 50 years ago that that homosexuality stopped being classified as a disorder. So our society perceived it that way or, or at least mainstream society did. But we've supposedly come a long way from that. And yet here we are in 2022. There is exactly zero openly gay major league baseball players. Is that true? Zero, and there has never been an openly gay major league baseball Shameful. player. Shameful. Never. Now, there is one in the National Football League, Carl Nassib, okay? And he plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's been out for a while. Um, and you would think football, with its well-known macho culture, would be a sport where it would be difficult. And I don't doubt that it has been difficult for him, but he's done it. Why is it that it hasn't happened in Major League Baseball? Now, I will tell you, there have been two gay players who came out after their careers ended. One of them is still involved with Major League Baseball. His name is Billy Bean. And no, I hasten to add, he's not the general manager of the Oakland Athletics. He the Billy Bean, right. He, <laughs> Th- these two Billy Beans share a name, although the Billy Bean, who is now the vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion for Major League Baseball, who is gay, um, who also played about as much as the other Billy Bean did. His name is spelled B-A-E-A-N, without the E. Um, and um, he played in the late 80s, briefly. Before that, there was a gentleman by the name of Glenn Burke. Glenn Burke played for the Dodgers in the late 70s. Probably the thing he's most famous for is that he was probably the first person to do the high five on the baseball field. Really? Supposedly he did it with Dusty Glenn Baker. Burke. Glenn Burke. Okay? And Glenn Burke sadly died of AIDS a few years after his career, and he came out again. But both Billy Bean and Glenn Burke came out after their careers ended. And Billy Bean has been working in Major League Baseball for some years. And Major League Baseball has made some progress. They have gay pride days, and they've had ballplayers who have tweeted out positive things about the gay community. And yet, at the same time, there has certainly been homophobia expressed by certain ballplayers. I know Daniel Murphy said some pretty negative things about gay people, a player who used to play for the Mets and the Washington Nationals, I think Colorado Rockies as well. And also in 2020, an announcer named Tom Brennan for the Cincinnati Reds had made a comment on what we call the hot mic, right, um, in which he used one of those famous terms starting with F for referring to gay people and calling a city an F blank blank city. And he did end up resigning his job and he apologized profusely afterwards, but still, we still live in that age. And you know, I think this is still evident when it comes to professional sports. As a baseball historian, as an, a writer, do you think those who follow the sport and write about the sport, are they complicit somehow in not making it easier for people to come out? I think everybody's complicit, right? Is it any, is it any different um, with uh, looking at race issues, right? We ask these questions about racial reconciliation and, and prejudice and what, what African-Americans go through. Who is responsible? 
to some degree, we are all responsible. If we don't speak out about it, if we don't talk about it, and I hope to a some small degree by doing this today, and I think other people do it, um, by talking about it, we, we smoke it out. And we say, hey, why isn't this happening? Why don't people in Major League Baseball clubhouses feel like they can be open about their sexuality? Why do they feel like they have to hide? And I think some of it is clearly the culture of the clubhouse. And here, I don't know that it's terribly different than other, you know, sports clubhouses. But Major League Baseball is known for being a rather conservative culture. I remember my friend Jim Kaplan, who's a baseball writer, local baseball guy. He said um, he's, he used to write for Sports Illustrated. He met a lot of uh, current athletes and athletes of the last 30 years. And he said one thing that uh, many of them had in common was being very religious. There's a strong degree of Christianity and even evangelical Christianity in Major League Baseball clubhouses. Sometimes there have been, been, been prayer meetings that were promoted. That doesn't mean that all religious people are anti-gay, but I think there is a very conservative cultural strain in clubhouses, and I think that puts some pressure on ballplayers. So my question for you is, why is it more prevalent in baseball than football given the fact that football is pretty conservative uh, traditionally, even the viewerships and, and the owners and the leagues, I mean, talking about other issues, they've been pretty steadfast anti-change. And yet what you're saying is NFL is certainly relatively more open than baseball. I guess what I'm saying is, I don't know if that's by accident or that's really anything purposive, you know. Mm. We have one openly gay player in the NFL. We also have about maybe not twice but close to twice as many players, right? Okay. One player has been successful. Now, I, I think the NBA is a little bit more in that direction. The NBA has already had two openly gay players, uh, uh, Jason Collins, and um, actually it might have been only Jason Collins that was openly gay when he was playing, but uh, another guy named um, John Amici came out, I think, right after his career, and the NBA has been a little more socially conscious, and my, I suspect the NBA In all is, respects, I think. Yeah, I think so. I, th I think they're going to they're gonna have more gay players sooner. Um, NFL... I can only speculate that that and and I, I can tell you I read a recent article about Carl Nassib in which he said he was a Republican, which is interesting. You know, he was his bona fides are I'm conservative like a lot of the other players, which maybe I don't know, maybe that's helped him be accepted a little bit more. That's that's possible. Um is it possible that because uh, Major League Baseball plays 10 times as many games as football and the players are with each other all the time, that that makes it harder for those players to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm with them constantly. We're on the road together constantly. I can't be open because anybody who doesn't accept me, I'm going to suffer not just, you know, once a week or, you know, a couple times a week at practice. I'm going to suffer day in and day out, well, eight months out of the year. I, I want to ask you, Duke Goldman, because you are an expert on, among other things, the Negro Leagues, and you've written extensively about that. Do you compare the experience of sort of, you know, the Jackie Robinson era, and that's what we all think of, right? But uh, I was in Atlanta in the mid-60s in the Atlanta Braves clubhouse. I saw and felt active racism that was unspoken. We had a handful of African Americans and Puerto Rican, one, two. Um, do you think that the the uh, homophobia that you're talking about, or at least the anti the, the unwillingness for gay people to, to acknowledge that they're gay, is related to the sort of um, unwillingness of a Hank Aaron to be active in the clubhouse? He sort of hid in his own locker. Although Hank Aaron became a lot more outspoken later on, late, much later on, especially yeah. as he started to face open racism when yeah. he was pursuing the seven fourteen record. Yeah. Um, I think it's all related in some fashion. I, I, I have to think that. I don't think they're separate and apart from each other. Are they exactly the same thing? No, right? Because a person who is of color can't hide their color. I mean, putting aside people who can pass, right? But people who are dark enough, they, they, everybody knows. And a person who's gay can hide, and that's what they chose to do. Would and we do know people have passed who did have lighter colors over the years. So there is some precedent for the idea that when you can hide your identity, you do if you feel like people are going to oppress you. So to that degree, I think it is true. I think that people are sensing that they are not going to be welcomed if they share their identity. And in that regard, I think 
it is still true here in 2022 that people uh, of, of different sexual orientations don't feel in especially male team sports that they can be open about their sexual What an interesting and important conversation we're having with baseball historian and writer Duke Goldman. We're going to be back and continue talking about gays in Major League Sports, particularly baseball, right after these messages. Do stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. Hi, hi. 101.5 WHMP. And have we got news for you. You better listen. Get ready all your lonely girls and leave those umbrellas at home. All right. It's Commutations, judges, the parole board, that's just three of the responsibilities of the Governor's Council. And we'll be speaking with the candidate for Governor's Council, Tara Jacobs, joined by State Senator Joe Comerford, who will be our guests Monday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Francis Ram, the money doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back or worse, delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free, far ahead of schedule. But did you know that for more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well without unnecessary risk? Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard-earned savings. Contact the money doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413-773-3333 or visit Hug HugYourMoney.com. The Paul Parent Garden Club, every Sunday, 6 to 8 a.m. Brought to you by Weinzick Nursery, locally owned and operated since 1954. Visit Mike, Amity, John, and the rest of the team at Weinzick Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley, and online at WeinzickNursery.com. Picture perfect days in the valley, and there's not a better place to celebrate those perfect days than at the Bridgeside Grill in Sunderland. The Bridgeside Grill has undergone a stunning transformation and expansion, and now it's time to revisit one of your favorite spots. Check out the new and expanded bar area, or dine outside on the patio. The Bridgeside Grill is open Tuesday starting at 9 a.m. and serves breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And don't forget about Sunday brunch and live music every Thursday and Sunday. The Bridgeside Grill, right in the heart of downtown Sunderland. Take WHMP and news from the Pioneer Valley with you everywhere. Download the TuneIn Radio app and search for WHMP. It's free, it's easy, and it's wherever you are. WHMP on TuneIn Radio. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. And we're back with Duke Goldman talking about, well, a really important topic that uh, I'm looking for answers uh, that it's not fair to ask you, Duke, because this is a social, um, it just doesn't go away, this problem. I'm just thinking about professional women athletes who seem to be more accepted. You know, they're not in the bedroom in the kitchen only. They are athletes now. So when they are openly gay, somehow it's easier for people to accept it than macho men who are supposed to be athletes um, being interested, being gay. I'm not even quite sure what I'm saying, although I think you get the thread of it. But sure. Do you think that it, it makes more sense that it'd be slightly easier for, for professional females? I think it makes sense in the sense that our society is still a very rampantly sexist society, and somehow women, um, you know, the idea that women are with women, well, that appeals to some men. You know, that's some men's greatest fantasies, right? So not to say that there aren't, men and women out there who have 
issues with it. There are, but I think it's more tolerated. Men being attracted to other men, that questions the the basic foundation of foundation of our society, the idea of masculine strength and 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 sports accentuates that, right? These athletes are out there and they're physical and they're powerful. And what do you mean? They're attracted to the guy who's who's, you know, throwing the ball to them, attracted to the guy who's they're gonna be naked in the same locker room. And they're naked in the same locker room. What are they doing in the locker room? You know? We would think that that's largely gone away, but I don't think it really has. I think that this still exists in our society. And even when we start to see players like before Carl Nassib, there was a guy named Michael Sam, who a lot was made of him. He was drafted by the NFL. I remember that. He was that. openly yeah. gay. This was several he was years very ago. very courageous. He was open about it. He talked about his boyfriend. He was told that it was fine. He was cut in training camp. Um, now, a lot of people said, well, but he wasn't really that high quality of player. Well, what I've read is he was good enough to be a backup. And if he had not been gay, there was real possibilities he might have made it to the NFL. So will we know that? Do we know that for a fact? No. But, you know, there's some sense that there's still resistance, right, when it comes to things like that. Um, there are still all sorts of people out there who are saying things that are anti-gay on the sports airwaves. There have been commentators uh, on ESPN, uh, a, a player by the name of Tim Hart. This goes back a little bit. He said Tim some Hardway. viciously anti-gay slurs in 2007. And he's, he's expiated his guilt, although apparently he has not said apologies to some of the people that he directly talked about. Um, there is a player named Luke Prokop who is in the minor leagues of hockey, is affiliated with the Nashville Predators, uh, who is openly gay. And there is an expectation that he is going to make it into the National Hockey League. There was a guy named Brian Ruby this year who played for the Salem Kieser team in the Northwest League, unaffiliated but professional baseball, who is openly gay. There are steps in the direction. I want to believe in the next five, 10 years, and once the doors open, we'll start to see this become normalized and it won't be a big deal. But it's still sports, male professional sports is lagging behind the rest of society. Duke Goldman, do you think, I mean, famously, Branch Rickey really wanted to see, and I believe that he really wanted to see uh, Jackie Robinson be successful. And he felt that baseball could lead in the civil rights, the move towards civil rights and acceptance of people uh, uh, of different color. Um, do you think that it, it, it still works that way? That is, the more acceptance in professional sports, the more likely there will be general acceptance? I, I, I have a feeling that that's a little more attenuated today than it was, say, 60, 70 years ago. I mean, certainly baseball had a major impact on American society in the way that it, it doesn't in the same way culturally... You know, I think sports are in a little bit of a different category. I don't know that if all of a sudden Major League Baseball had three, four, five openly gay players that that would change minds dramatically. But I think it would be a step. I do think it would have an impact. But you would think that if, if famously in 2003 there was Lawrence versus Texas, which said a state may no longer criminalize homosexuality, you may not arrest someone and jail them for being homosexual in the privacy of their own home, right? Um, you would think that with that and gay marriage, both in terms of state and federal law, that it would be easier for baseball players to come out than it was for Jackie, Jackie Robinson pre-Civil Rights Act to come out and play baseball. To be perfectly honest, I'm a bit mystified. I really thought this was going to happen sooner. Uh, I mean, you know, we are looking at a time where, hey, when I turn on game shows these days and, you know, watch something like Wheel of Fortune, there's... You know, all sorts of gay people that are on the shows and people are talking you about their husbands. You watch Wheel of Fortune? I do, I do. <laughs> and, you know, I'm waiting to see two men kiss on TV. I think it's going to happen. And it probably has happened in, in well, sitcoms or whatever. I mean, and, and it's normalized. It's, I don't think anybody notices anymore. I certainly don't notice when a man says, um, you know, um, I got married last year to my husband, John. You know, it's not notice. a big deal. Yeah. And... I, I, I would have thought there would have been openly gay uh, baseball players in Major League Baseball by now. Are you talking about movies as well? There's a new one called Bros that came out. And so there's a, there's a lot more cultural acceptance to it. But for everything like that, there's always a resistance. And the resistance seems, if I had to listen to Buzz's political and, and judicial reviews, there's a powerful backlash. 
galvanizing, well, well, especially in the courts. And you we talk have, about the courts and, and yes. the resistance. So, I mean, what could happen when you have six conservative Supreme Court members, where at least five will, that creates a majority who have a right to overturn things. It puts everything up in the air. I, I'm a little more worried about the governors and the legislatures. We have the guy down in Florida, Ron DeSantis, who passed what many people are calling a don't say gay law. And now there's talk recently about the national legislature, the Congress passing a similar law. And what they're saying is don't, don't uh, educate young children about sexuality. I think that's their play. Yeah. And I don't think that's a fair play. I think that's a very unfair <laughs> play. That's not recognizing the the gen, gen the the genuine right of everybody to be who they are. Yeah, and to love who they want. And love who they want. So th- those forces are out there. Um, could be the courts too. I mean, I I don't want to believe that that the Supreme Court is going to overturn um, Lawrence versus Texas or yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to well, believe people either. didn't say that about Roe v. Wade, right? I True. mean, or people did say that about Roe v. Wade, and and that it might happen one day, and it eventually came down. Well, yeah. they, they did at least kicked it back to the states, and now maybe. Santor, it's just a beautiful man. day. We're I'm sorry, facing Buzz. a beautiful weekend, and we, this is I, what you're going to leave us with. Be, uh, it, we have two minutes. You can you can cheer us up. Come on, Buzz. <laughs> How about those poll numbers? Come on. Are you hopeful, Duke? I am. I am hopeful at the same time. I, 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 you know, we are seeing more and more openly gay athletes all over the spectrum in sports. Certainly we've seen it everywhere in individual sports. We see it in European sports and soccer. Um, we see it in, in women's sports. And we are starting to see it in major league team sports slowly. I think it is going to happen. I think that you know, the the way of people is to accept other people for who they are. And I think that once the incursions are made and people in clubhouses realize, oh, that's John. John happens to be married to Bill. He's a great teammate. It's the the resistance will will melt away. And there are little signs, they're very little signs, but every time I see a, an all gender bathroom um, you know, especially if there's two bathrooms mm-hmm. in the movie theater and both are all each are all gender. All right, some of that ridiculous uh, phobic stuff about bathrooms. Although there are bathroom, anti-bathroom, anti-trans movements in the Carolinas and other places that are very frightening. So you know we're we're in the midst of all this, right? You know, sports does reflect society, and society is having these big problems. So let's wait and see what happens. And will Brittany Griner actually get? Released from jail. That's a good question. That's a horrible yeah, story. And she's most likely also being targeted additionally because yes, of that. So absolutely. there's that added layer and added factor besides being a black woman who's prominent, who's one of the best M- WNBA players who ever played. It's like the equivalent of the Michael Jordan. Well, she also era, might be, so. well, we don't know. Might also be, she's American. Yeah. I mean, that's part no, of it too. It's all of of course, it. But it's being, all of being yeah. openly gay is not helpful. Yeah. No, it's it's certainly helpful. not. Um, In the gulag. Right. Yeah, that's a chilling, chilling it is. story. It's scary. Duke, I'm so glad you brought us to our attention. So, um, does anybody write about this that you read about? You know, I haven't read it. You know, recently there was an article in Men's Health about Carl Nassib. So, that's the most recent thing I've seen about. I know that Dave Zirin has written about this at some point. I mean, there are, there are definitely sportscasters who address this issue, but I don't think they're addressing it enough. Yeah. Well, hugely important. Thank you so much. I always really do enjoy it. Meanwhile, everybody, it's a great baseball season. It is. I'm really enjoying the postseason. Go and Padres. Go Padres is okay. You predicted pro- Padres before they... I think uh, they're going to win it all. He does. and uh, I think the Astros are going to win it all. I think they're... Well, you're in, just an anti-Yankee guy. No, the Astros have been in the postseason, you know, in the, the National championship series six years in a row. We have to go. All these predictions. But I'm going to enjoy watching it. I will too. Everybody, thank you for joining us this week and join us next Monday for the Afternoon Buzz and have a really great weekend. It's been too This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. I don't know what's up there. Emotions and experiences play an important role in our...